0: Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Ann Thompson.
1: I'm Ryan Latanzio,
0: And we're going to be talking about the New York Film Festival and lots of other good things. So, Ryan, um, tell me what you have picked up on. I'm curious to get your on-the-ground... Uh, reaction, you know, this is what's going on is like, how do certain movies play? Uh, yeah,
1: so the opening night film was May, December, and Todd Haynes was there, and there was a huge party, as there is every year, at Tavern on the Green. And uh, with that movie, it felt like everyone came out really liking or loving it. I didn't really uh, pick up on a lot of negative reactions from people in the way that I think last year's opening night film, White Noise, was a bit more divisive um i hated that movie and had a really so did, tough I.
0: Time. So did I yeah
1: and a lot and a lot of people Although there did, was so... a lot
0: of good stuff in it in the first hour and then it went down that's right the tracks
1: to... that's right and yeah. so so this was a this was definitely a redemptive opening night evening and yeah i mean that that movie uh it's going to be in theaters uh in mid uh mid-november and then we'll we'll see it on netflix at the beginning of december um, the other movie that did enormously well here, uh, premiering on Monday night, was uh, Maestro, uh, which we talked about a little bit last week. It felt like, in when I saw that in Venice, it felt like the reception was muted in some ways. People were not really passionate about it, and here it has gotten an absolutely rapturous response. And what was great about that evening was that uh, the premiere took place at David Geffen, which is, of course, where uh, Leonard Burns. Stein, you know, spent much of his career, and Bradley Cooper was all
0: Phil Harmonic Hall.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, it,
0: but is Phil Harmonic Hall, David Geffen? Is that is that on the main uh, campus there at Lincoln Center, as opposed to Alice Tully Hall? Right.
1: Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah. What? And on that evening, um, Bradley Cooper was able to uh, join everyone. He got an agreement to sit in the audience. He sat through. He watched the movie, of course. The agreement did not permit him to do the press line or Q&A or intro or any of those things. But uh, I think having him in the room was generated a palpable excitement for people. And as you'll if you look at reaction on on social media, everybody is just over the moon for this movie. And so uh, this festival really helped position it more for uh, awards than I would say Venice did.
0: Yeah, it's Um, a new Bark movie. I mean, that's that what I guess the point I was trying to make is that it's a homegrown movie uh hometown uh, event and leonard bernstein is just one of those people that people cherish and he's beloved and he's he's somebody who who's um a, a star right and, and and there was a big story i was fascinated by this because you know bradley cooper isn't allowed to comment right but there was this big story in the new york times about how he conducted and how he ha- picked the music and all the different conductors he watched and learned from and everything There was no way that story didn't get written without his cooperation. Yeah. You know, no. He told them everything they needed to know. And, and, it, and, you know, there's, a, there are elaborate production notes and, and there's a lot of quotes from him in there, but the, the point is that, that there are ways, uh, there are many ways to skin a cat. And that was um, one of them. They're, right, and we, There's a great. And- I can feel the frustration that these artists are experiencing. You can see all the actors showing up at the different. You know fashion galas, you know, they want to be out, they want to be about, they want to be, you know, to, to that list of, of actors, the, the, the row sitting with Anna Wintour uh, at fashion week. I mean, Lily Gladstone and, and, uh, you know, Josh O'Connor, you know, sitting with Anna Wintour. It was, it was I was amused. Cause this well, is what are the, what are the publicists going to do? You know?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because last night and I was not in attendance for this, um, w- Emma Stone and Yorgos Lanthimos found a way to get to boost their profile. They both appeared uh, in person, which was a surprise appearance, at least from Emma Stone's perspective. At for the premiere of Bleat, which is a short that they uh, released last year in Greece. It's a black and white 30 minute short. There was live, a live choir, live musical accompaniment. And of course, they could not say anything about poor things, but you know, there they were together in front of an audience. And I, I wasn't there, but I listened to the Q and A this morning and you can tell she's a little bit out of practice in terms of talking to the public about her work. And she even admitted this in her Q&A. And then afterwards, she greeted a number of her fans in the aisles. And so obviously she's ready to be out there as soon as she's able to be
0: well the the um we're, we'll we'll get to the we'll get to the strike uh later um so uh so so those two movies are well positioned for the awards race i you know clearly i i agree uh, it's playing there was a beautiful review of maestro and time um you know clearly uh the response is very favorable um and what was what was the other movie that you and I both have seen? It's called uh, The Boy and the Heron. It's the Miyazaki that played New York after having been at a number of other fest. It opened Toronto. It a yes, and so, yeah, to opened Toronto. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that played here on Sunday, and I was there uh, for that premiere, uh, and. I've gotta say, I was telling you about this yesterday. I'm a bit of a Miyazaki neophyte. You know, I've seen uh, Howls Moving Castle, I've seen Spirit Away, but I did One not
0: win the Oscar.
1: That's right. and uh, But I did not grow up on Miyazaki in a way that I think a lot of my peers did. So I I just I don't really have this relationship to his work that a lot of my close friends, including your daughter, Nora, have. Um, maybe that's because they had smart parents that were introducing their kids to smart his cinephile, work. Right?
0: Cinephile parents. I mean, we yeah. I remember discovering My Neighbor Totoro, which which was released by some godforsaken exhibitor. I mean, it wasn't a big... There was nothing about the presentation of it at the screening that I went to that indicated something that was classy or fabulous. I'd never heard of Miyazaki. And I came out of that movie transported. And there was a critic at Variety who reviewed it and gave it a bad review. Like the most negative kind of dismissive, this is flat 2D, this is not good animation, that kind of thing. Uh, who had been sort of, who just didn't get it, right? And I've never done this in my life, but I called that critic up and yelled at him. I, I've never done that. It, I would never do wow. Every critic has the right to say what they want to say, but not about Miyazaki. So Miyazaki is the Disney of Japan, and he is the most extraordinary artist and I'm so glad you got to discover the movie. What made you like it so much?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just pretty blown away by this movie. It's so visually complex and it really feels like it's not a it's definitely not a kids movie. I mean, the the protagonist is this boy uh in post World War II Japan, who's grieving the loss of his mother. His father is now remarrying his aunt, who's pregnant with another child. So there's this sort of disturbing, complex family dynamic going on. And the concept of the movie is that there is some. Uh, extraterrestrial object that has landed on earth and has created this alternate world, this other world that he is taken by this Heron into where he really comes to confront a lot of existential questions. And I mean, it's so visually complex and there were moments that I thought were really terrifying. At least if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a kid who's going to be watching this movie, uh, not only would I not fathom what's going on, but I would be really freaked out. But what what were your thoughts about it as someone who has definitely seen all of his movies?
0: No, I wouldn't put it at the very top. I mean, I would say you're in for a treat. You're going to you're going to hopefully catch up on some of the ones like my neighbor Totoro, which is just lovely. Did you get to see the Academy Museum exhibit when it was here in L.A.? The Miyazaki no,
1: I adjust I I made it just for the Almodovar one I had just yeah, missed. The Miyazaki.
0: No, the Miyazaki one was really great and some of the exhibits are better than others. That was one of the one of the better ones. But but the there's a whole long list. Ponyo, I mean some of them are you know um Kiki's Delivery Service. Some of them are are more uh, child friendly and whimsical. The, the the relationship to nature is always very um important. This one, the character of the Heron is a very interesting uh construct because it has a lot to do with the role of the comedy figure in 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 animation and and it, it it's it could be off-putting for some people who don't um who aren't familiar with 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 the with this kind of form it's it's the it, the the story of the boy he's heroic he's extraordinary and and he runs into all these great characters women many of them who, who take care of him um all these different uh, incredible environments that are so gorgeous, but the but the 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 heron is a, is a fascinating, um, scary I would say, very scary, grotesque, scary character. Yeah, yeah, it is it isn't quite what it seems. Um, so I we we agree on that one. Um, so then there's a bunch of films coming out that have nothing to do with the festival. Um, uh, I wrote about Kitty Green's uh, The Royal Hotel, which is an Australian thriller, uh, relatively low budget, but relatively big compared to her last movie, her first movie, The Assistant. Also starring Julia Garner. And um, I just got a kick out of this uh, sort of, I found, frightening story of two women who go way the hell out in the outback to this uh, remote two-story ramshackle hotel with a pub full of randy miners And they have to somehow uh, survive this. And I was just horrified by it. Uh, They seemed so vulnerable to me.
1: The comparison that a lot of people have made for this movie is this Australian horror film that I want to say is from like 2004 called Wolf Creek. I mean, it is it really does have this sort of oozing ambient atmosphere of dread throughout it, Um, even though. You know, I, I got to say, I, I like this movie, but I prefer The Assistant. And it's funny because I was just reading your interview that you, you did with Kitty Green, and you described that movie as 90 minutes of Julia Garner and a Xerox machine, uh, which that's is fair. what I, we yes, but I think that's what I found thrilling about that movie. In a way, that movie really reminded me of Jean Dielman in in this kind of strange way, whereas this one does feel, though it's certainly complex, it does feel more like a genre piece. And it may be my station in life.
0: I got a kick out of it. I mean, I did some hitchhiking when I was in high school. I did some crazy things, you know. But you, 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 you put yourself in danger when you're young sometimes, and you don't even care. You don't realize what it is. You think you can handle it. You just believe that it will turn out all right. And and they're like that there. And but but the other thing she talked about, um, I didn't put this in the story, was was that the the, the um, sometimes in those relationships when you're traveling to women, one of them takes a dominant role and sort of takes control. And the other one is sort of goes with the flow. And so the other character was the one who got drunk and didn't, you know, take take heed and, and didn't take precautions and, and, and the older one, or if you like the one who was in charge, uh, the Julia Garner character, she was the one who, who looked out for the other one.
1: And he, well, I mean, I, I, I understand that when you're traveling, these relationships form that otherwise wouldn't, cause it's sort of happening in a vacuum. But the other thing I didn't totally by was that they would have any interest in this salt of the earth guy who's played by this great um up and coming Australian actor, Toby Wallace, oh, who's also could. in the he he's is. also in the Jeff Nichols bike ride the bike rider this year. And he was in Baby Teeth a couple of years ago, but he is just really a sort of sordid person. And I just could not understand what these women found alluring about him because they both they, they, they seem to share in an attraction for with him.
0: Relative to the other choices on, on hand. Well,
1: true, true. <laughs> he yeah. offered to
0: drive them around and take them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they couldn't get to. I I got it. I got it. anyway. Anyway, this one's worth checking out. It's it's actually quite uh taut and and well directed and and tight. You know, it's 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 a it's it's scary. There's stuff to look. And of course, there's a there's a lot of Hugo weaving. And he's always worth he's always worth checking out.
1: And blind drunk through the Most entire of movie. The
0: time. Yeah. yeah. And then you have um. She came to me now. Rebecca Miller. Is a, is a director that many people have not sampled. I mean, she's made a lot of movies. She's married to Daniel Day-Lewis. She's this daughter of Arthur Miller. She is extraordinarily smart and erudite and uh, a good writer. And her films have no, you can argue with me about this, they have no relationship to uh, something commercial. They're, 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 she doesn't care about that. She lives in a world where she's free in a way. She gets the investment, whatever she needs. She's free to explore what interests her. And it's often smart people in New York um, doing weird things. And in this case, it, I just loved this one. She came to me. It is. It is Absolutely out there! It's bonkers, you know. The, this Peter Dinklage opera writer lyricist is librettist is is out. You know, gets involved with with Marissa Tomei, who's a tugboat captain, and he's married to Anne Hathaway, who's this uptight crazy psychologist popping pills in his mouth, and I just loved it. <laughs>
1: I really like this movie, too. And, you know, it has this really what I think is a great Anne Hathaway performance in one of two great performances of hers this year, which also is in Eileen, which is coming out from Neon in December and premiered at Sundance. But, yeah, I mean, she is this sort of OCD adult. A woman who, in order, in pursuit of achieving her most uncluttered space, she is on the path to becoming a nun, which I just found hilarious because anytime you put a nun in a movie, it's, there is all kind of situations that can happen. Um, And what's interesting about this movie, I was at the they, they had a big premiere on Tuesday night at the Metrograph here in Manhattan, and the cast was there because they have got an agreement they're able to be there. Greta Gerwig, who is friends with Rebecca Miller, they did Maggie's Plan. She was also there with her partner, Noah Baumbach, And, you know, they're really on the trail with this one. Um, Marissa Tomei and Anne Hathaway, they did Good Morning America. And Anne Hathaway did the Today Show. I was in a huge junket with Rebecca Miller and the two actresses the other day. And there's even rumblings that Anne Hathaway could be in talks to host SNL because she's able to do that now. The reviews are kind of middling. I was just looking at Metacritic. It's hovering around a 50 right now, but there's still not a few good, that'll- Ryan, as
0: no, as you know, Not good, Ryan. No, not
1: good. No.
0: I don't think anyone will will go. I, I just, I, I'm happy to hear that there's support for it, but I'll be curious to see how- how many people turn up. Um, but you spoke to Anne Hathaway. You actually did an interview with her.
1: Yeah, so I talked to Anne Hathaway the other day and I actually brought up the fact that in in this movie and in Eileen, she both, she has a sort of like nervous breakdown moment that happens in both of the movies. We, of course we really couldn't talk about Eileen. Um, but she she was a bit thrown by that question in a good way. So
0: the other movie that's playing at the New York Film Festival is um, Faux. So
1: Faux did premiere at the New York Film Festival and it's open theatrically on Friday it's an MGM Amazon title the prime video premiere is a ways off as I understand it it is set uh, about 30 40 years in the future uh Sorsha Ronan and Paul meskel who I think have a very intense tactile physical chemistry this these two uh they play a married couple the Earth is suffocating the world is dying and they're sending people off to space but then meanwhile there is this idea that these um, simulants, these sort of biological replicants of the person standing next to you can be used to replace that person who is then sent to space. So Paul Meskel is off to space, and now here's her Saoirse Ronan on Earth, tangling with her husband's identical, you know, replication of himself. But the movie really is more of a romantic marital drama, um, but it really, you know, and it sticks close to the novel that it's based on is from the author of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And so when you think about it, they're similar, because they're both set at a farmhouse, and they revolve around two people.
0: And I'm going to disagree with you on a couple things. One, I don't think they have any chemistry at all. I think no. Paul Mescal is one of the sexiest guys who ever lived and we know what he did with normal people and we know that when he's in intimate scenes, he's if anyone can make anyone sexy, it's him. But I I find Sir Ronan remote and, and hard to, I mean, I like her a lot. I think she's a great actress, but she's never been a sexy actress to me. You know, someone who heats up the screen and she doesn't hear either. And part of it is that this marital drama you're describing is actually quite dull. And that's part of the problem. You have to sit there. It's a talking heads movie. It's two of them. And then the third guy who at least brings in uh, Pierre, he brings in a, a certain amount of, of frisson because he's he's clearly attracted to Cézanne and he's messing with uh, Paul Mescal, and you begin to learn more about the nature of their marriage for better for worse as as the thing goes on. But it's just like watching. Paint dry. They're all in the uh, same location. They're all getting drunk or whatever. They're they're or not sleeping with each other. And you know, she's kicking out Paul Mescal, and he's, he has to sleep somewhere else. At the beginning, I would suggest that there's equal attraction for both characters, and then as the thing progresses, you lose respect for the Paul Mescal character, and you gain respect for hers. You want to root for her, but it is it is quite. Uh, I, I I wanted to flee the theater. I I that's how ups that's how really claustrophobic and unhappy the movie made me.
1: I found the whole thing to be cinematically kind of moody and seductive in this weird way. I mean, I think the cinematography by Matthias Erderly, who does, who's, um, you know, he did Son of Saul. He's doing the Iron Claw in December with Sean Durkin. Um, there's a really good score, I think, from Oliver Coates, who was composer on *After Sun*, also st- starring Mescal. I just thought it was a moody, strange, and interesting movie. And the third act I found very emotional. Once once everything sort of comes together and you realize the, the gravity of what is happening.
0: So there's also a lot of movies opening up that I at least have no interest in seeing whatsoever, including the new Exorcist movie, the one that Universal paid $400 million uh, for the rights to, to this supposed trilogy, this, this franchise that David Gordon Green um uh, took off on. Um, obviously, he did uh, some some lucrative work with the uh, Halloween franchise. But in this case, judging from David Ehrlich's very entertaining review, I will stay away from this one. Uh, no, thank you.
1: I will never see one frame of this movie. I can guarantee it. I hope that Ellen Burstyn got a lot of money to give to her grandchildren for this movie. I hope it was worth it. Um, it's so curious. What the hell has happened with David Gordon Green? You know, he was the belle of the ball with things like George Washington and all the real girls and Undertow and even Pineapple Express. But that all was so long ago. You know, those were all in the, in the, the early and mid aughts. And now here we are. He's done this Halloween terrible, this Halloween trilogy that um, I feel like kind of butchered the franchise. The first one was okay. The first one was all right. But it's like, is he going to do it again with Exorcist? I mean, I I guess all these movies are happening, but the reviews are terrible across the board. Yeah, I just, I have no interest in this.
0: No, I don't know what they're going to do with it though. That's the thing. I mean, that's a lot of money to throw. I mean, maybe the audiences are going to show up and it doesn't matter what the critics think. It could be critic proof. It could be you know they could they could all flock to the to the theaters we'll find out shortly the um the other big phenomenon that's coming up is taylor swift and our box office the the concert movie that 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 is that she bypassed Distributors. There, there are no distributors. She worked directly with AMC, um, the, the theater chain, and it's booked into uh, the theaters around the country. And it is so popular that it could be the number one movie uh, opening since Joker. I mean, literally on that level. That's how big it is. Um, and it could save the box office for the month of October and for the year.
1: I'm seeing it a week from tomorrow at the opening night in Times Square and it's only because someone didn't want their tickets so I bought them from them because otherwise it's impossible to get a seat to this thing. And they're encouraging people to dance in the aisles. So I imagine I may be trying to elbow some tweens off of me. (laughs) Um, I am looking forward to it. But it's like with everything going on with the NFL, how they've completely like retrofitted their branding to be all about her now. It's like this woman is in the water. It's just inescapable. She's everywhere. I mean, this is like, we have not seen a phenomenon like this in a long time. And I'm coming into this as someone who, during the pandemic, I became a Taylor Swift fan because of folklore and now I'm feeling like I'm feeling very inundated with this person at this at the moment.
0: No, and then and then you see all the footage of her arriving at the football game with Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, Jackman and you know, this entourage of people who know, you know, it's like the cat that swallowed the canary. They know they're in the moment with with this extraordinary, uh, sort of uh, resplendent being. Um, these things come and go. I have a great deal of respect for her, just you know, she's she's pulled off. I mean, remember, I saw that documentary that was on Netflix. Um, about how badly she was treated and how her her own you know uh, songs and copyrights were taken away from her and you know it's just a an extraordinary comeback that she's managed so i have a lot of respect for her and also going around the, the she even got the the sag approval you know to do to do this this concert movie yeah you know, she went and got approval and she's giving away money to to people who work for her and to, to other people it's not like she's one of the bad guys. She has good values. At least I approve of the values I'm aware of. It could be, you know, some of these people go very far south when they get to this level of of crazy celebrity.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it would take a lot, something cataclysmic would have to happen to send Taylor Swift south at this stage.
0: She seems pretty solid. She seems, she seems solid as hell. And then Beyonce is following suit, right? She's got a concert movie as well.
1: That's right. She has a concert movie on December 1st. I'm also excited about that. But I actually went to the I attended the Renaissance tour, uh, spent an unconscionable amount of money that I will not say name the figure of. And I will not do again. Um, But it was easier to get a ticket to that than it was the heirs tour, which I tried a couple of times and just busted out every time.
0: My daughter had uh, worked on the Netflix doc, so her company was able to get tickets. So she lucked out. She looked at him. Must
1: be nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she
0: she loves she loves Taylor Swift. I don't have a relationship to Taylor Swift. When I it's like when when I do karaoke and people do Taylor Swift songs, I I get that they're good songs, but it's not like it's like you and Miyazaki. I didn't grow up with her. I didn't I didn't you know, she's not part of my my life.
1: If you were going to have a relationship with her, it would have happened by now.
0: Exactly. Um, so, what are we? The, the other thing that's going on, and we touched on it a little sooner. I mean, obviously, the the strike is go is still being uh, negotiated. The actor strike. Um, uh, they they this time the four CEOs are meeting every other day. You know, because they can't give up their entire uh, jobs <laughs> to devote to, to to negotiating. But it's it seems solid. It seems like they're making progress. Progress. Nobody's saying anything out of school that, that each time they meet, they say that it was productive and then they move on to when they're gonna meet next, uh, which I guess is is Friday. You know, they they met they met on Wednesday and, and on Monday. Um so we're gonna hopefully see that strike get resolved uh soon and um but in the meantime we are in the middle of award season and it is very challenging actually to plan and to uh make uh, you know it's like you you think you're going to have a chance to talk to Bradley Cooper at some point but you don't know when and and it's it's very frustrating for everyone the publicists are all going mad they have you know different contingency plans and they don't know when, you know, when, when is this going to happen, you know, get re- it's going to be soon and then the, the floodgates will open.
1: Yeah. And then we're going to get a deluge of requests and opportunities and it's all going to, you know, the fire hose is going to be unleashed.
0: <laughs> but at least it'll get, it'll get done. And then uh, part of what we're going to be doing during this is, is, is a doc series uh, which I'm excited about. We we curated it. We really we had fierce battles. We we argued. You know what are we really are showing? What we think are the best documentaries of the season, and so that'll be fun. That will will be.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of good titles in that. Um, the Eternal Memory, I loved. Um, with Still, the Michael J. Fox movie. Um, the Mission is great as well. So for anyone who is behind on their docs, uh, this is a good opportunity to catch up with them.
0: Absolutely, and we'll be showing them at the Regent. You know in. Uh, the landmark in, in Westwood, um, and then we have um, another new thing that's happened is that the Golden Globes actually did reveal their membership. It's all online at the Golden Globes website, and they added a bunch of new people, two of whom work for Variety, and one of whom works for Deadline. They're they're overseas, yeah, they're they're in Europe, but uh, I found that interesting you know i think i think there's going to be a they're keeping they're keeping to the definition of a foreign uh these people now what it used to be was that the hollywood foreign press if you look at this list it's sort of interesting if you look at they have little pictures and little bios of all the people if you go through it you you realize that all the white people are the ones who used to be the hollywood foreign press because you you can write uh, someone i know who they are you know so you see that and then there's this enormous amount of people of color from all over the world um and it's it's just entirely different makeup of of an organization and they're instead of being the people in Hollywood who write about Hollywood for their for, yeah as foreign correspondents for their home you know outlet, these people are covering not necessarily Hollywood. I, a lot of them are very erudite. Uh, kind of film critics um, who cover film and in a serious way uh, across, you know, all these different countries.
1: And that's right. I mean, in the previous body, uh, in whatever form it was, wasn't necessarily all foreign and wasn't necessarily all legitimate press. You know, I'll never forget uh, some years ago when Robin Wright won for House of Cards, she addressed them as a gaggle of characters. (laughs) So it's just always been a sort of strange. Uh, no. So those
0: those notorious uh, foreign press conferences are no longer happening. The actors of our world do no longer have to suffer uh, the the absurd. I've been I had been to some of those press conferences and they were awful. They were just horrible. These people would ask questions that you would find uh, embarrassing, eye rolling, N and A, you know, and they got away with it for years. Um, and now I would say it is on the road to some kind of uh, some kind of different uh, change. I'll be curious to see what the what the nominations look like. Um, the people who were members of the Foreign Press Association, of, and I, I, I don't know what the number is now. I, I have to figure this part out. Those people get paid $75,000 a year to do the job, whereas all the other people are, are not getting paid they're volunteering their time to be part of this process
1: again $75,000 for not doing much must be nice <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so um next week is uh the I'll be coming to New York and I'll we're going to do screen talk live at Lincoln Center at the Eleanor Boonen Monroe uh, Theater. And we're gonna have a special industry guest who is actually quite fabulous. And so I hope you will all tune in for for our uh, New York Film Festival live edition.